Hi everyone and welcome to a special edition of our podcast. We have a very special guest today, none other than my illustrious massage therapist and uh, coaching trainer extraordinaire, Jared Cowley. Hello Jared, welcome to the podcast. Hi, and thank you for having me. You're welcome. Now Jared and I decided to uh, have a chat because in the last podcast we were chatting about athletes. Jared was really interested and felt like we should explore more the concept of what I meant by a biomechanical chain and what does the chain mean? Where does the, what, what do we mean by a chain and where does the chain um, originate from and, and what, how, does, how do different parts of the body relate? So if we're saying the problem's coming down the, the body, what does that mean? Or the problem's coming from the ground up, what does that mean? And so practically, we thought we'd take the time to explain. And Jared's been, we've been working together for a long time. So Jared's very familiar with some of these concepts, but thought it might be a great idea to expand upon some of these concepts. So the average person that we treat or the average athlete that Jared trains may be able to get a better understanding of some of the concepts that we're talking about. Would you agree, mate? Yeah, exactly. It's it's kind of connecting the dots and understanding why the body feels the way it does and understanding that injuries create injuries and there's a primary driven factor and then everything else is supplementary to that yeah so uh or sometimes there's a primary and then there's a compensation around the primary yeah or then that 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 primary so the primary might be a broken ankle and then somebody's because their ankle, you know, was broken when they were younger. You could understand their range of motion might decrease, or in that ankle, or they were limping for a long time around that, and then so they don't bear weight evenly. But then what might happen is that's the primary. But then what might happen is you might get that person who talks on a phone all day with their opposite arm, or and kinks their head. Or they also are a builder or a plumber or whatever, and they're using their body asymmetrically. And that may cause another problem outside of the original underlying biomechanical problem. So while Jared and I, we'll we'll talk a bit about in this podcast about the sort of the driver or the primary area where things can go wrong, often there are different layers to that as well and complex patterns, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah that we see. So we're always banging on about trying to find the hub or the center of an, an injury, but often there's there's multifaceted layers to these, uh, the way a, a human organism moves that uh, we have to sort of break down, don't we, to get to the bottom of. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're a product of our environment, so our body's gonna adapt best to how we do our everyday things, so our daily habits. So every day I brush my teeth with my right hand my body's going to adapt to that. I get in the car the same way, I get out of the car the same way. Uh, my body's going to adapt to that. And when we talk about elite sports people trying to be balanced, our lifestyle has a heavy factor in that. At training, we only see the athletes one to two hours a day. What are they doing the rest of the time? All that accounts for what's actually happening in their body. We should have a quick chat about you, shouldn't we? Because, I mean, well, I've kn- well, we've known each other a long time now and we're good friends as well as colleagues, but I would say that when you first started as, you started as an athlete, right? So could you, if you were to go back and tell yourself some messages now to the young kids that you treat, if you were yourself and you were having a conversation with yourself, 
what would you tell yourself, you know, 10, 15 years later, like when you first started, what would there be a consistent message that you would say to yourself as, as you're treating these young guys and girls today? Yeah, like I, I've thought about this several times, like what I would always say, what I wish I knew now, I knew back then, because even though at the track I trained hard and in the gym I trained hard, everything around that just wasn't up to an elite athlete level. So nutritionally, things ca- my success came very easily as a junior athlete and I thought I could just continue that through to a, an open age athlete and I didn't really connect the dots to why the results didn't come. So just from a nutritional standpoint is I wasn't fueling my body to best recover from that training session to get prepared for the next training session. So I was always in a sort of a state of fatigue and, and a state of recovery. Yeah. And you can only go along that path for so long before sure. injuries start to come in. So for me, I've had shin splints, uh, both right and left, a stress fracture on the right fibula, uh, strained left hamstring. Probably the most debilitating injury was a left abdominal strain from uh, instability through the pelvis. And then if it wasn't an injury, it was an illness. So I have, towards my late teens, I suffered with uh, low iron levels um, because I was training at such a high intensity and in that my body was always in that state of recovery my white blood cell count started to drop and that was one of the major warning signs that, hey, something's got to change. And I was getting sick very easily. I would just always run down. When I was finishing mm. school, I'd always, it would always be a struggle to stay awake for the first two periods at school until I sort of got more nutrition into my, by recess and then I could sort of wake myself up. And it wasn't until I saw a nutritionist in year 11 that it was sort of to balance a lot of that stuff out. And... It wasn't until sort of a year later that I could really feel the benefits of performing well on the track. Training was really easily. Um, schoolwork picked up. So yeah, all those factors had to contribute somewhere. You've got me. It's interesting because listening to your chat, um, it's funny because when I asked you that question, you you initially went to nutrition and the importance of nutrition, which we both agree is pivotal. Yeah. But I was actually coming at you from a different angle, right? <laughs> and the angle I was coming at was when I first met you, we picked up a few things wrong with you um, biomechanically. Yeah. But you probably, like most, some young people, not all of them, didn't completely either understand what we were talking about at the time or it seemed a bit abstract or it you just thought it was weird. or And, and let's talk about that. There's... Um, and. I think one of the things, to be honest, and I'll say this at the start of the podcast, that I get typecast with is that I blame everything on the jaw, right? And it's you've been working with me a long time now. And and at first, when you started with me, you would have said that, uh, you know, he just thinks everything's coming from the jaw too. And I think as the longer you've worked with me, and look, I've learned more as time has gone on too. Um, but you can see that there is definitely... Uh, sort of a different way injuries can present, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Like when I first started here, and like you said, you were, everything was about the jaw. My first thought was, geez, that sounds a bit out there, but I'll, I'll go with it. He obviously knows more than me. And as time's gone on, I've actually learned to understand how how much impact the jaw has, uh, especially when it comes to, comes to running and running fast. With the athletics track, we only turn left going around the track. So the imbalance that that causes, as well as if there's any underlying issues from the, the TMJ or the jaw, it, it's like we're, we're fighting an uphill battle. Mm. Yeah. 
But I want to put it on the record too. We don't say that about everyone, that everyone's a jaw case <laughs> too. We, no, we don't. I mean, it just seems that... Um, and I, I will get back to this because when it comes to your case, you had different different things going on at the start, didn't you? What was your original injury that you saw me for? Do you remember? Original injury... Uh, I think I was still suffering with the shin, shin splints. splints. The yeah. stress fracture had healed. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the shin splints were still still there and causing a headache. And one thing that we do really think that's important with athletes, as you and I know, is the function of the foot. Yeah. So to have really good soft feet and with a foot that moves in lots of different directions and is able to move all the joints in its different planes of movement is really important, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So even around that time, I was wearing orthotics um, and knowing what I know now, I don't think they were the right choice for me. Um, I think they were just trying to offload a bit of the pressure on the shins uh, to alleviate the stress fracture. But for me, I felt like they were causing other problems, or causing more problems than what they were solving. Yeah. So that's that's an interesting one with athletes, isn't it? Because we struggle with that on a daily basis uh, when patients come in to see us who are elite athletes and some orthotics work really well for some people. And some orthotics are actually causing problems, aren't they? But yet, uh, we automatically think that when we see a podiatrist that all orthotics are good and all orthotics work in the same way. But often different podiatrists have different beliefs, don't they? Yeah. And people have different ability to cope with um, different types of orthotics too. Uh, so, I yeah, it's, it's interesting. So, we, we think the feet's a really important part and so we do treatment on the feet not just the jaw so we're throwing in the feet all right the next part that i wanted to chat with you about is that abstract and with the feet when i first graduated from uni um 20 odd years ago most of the philosophy was that if you get everyone balanced from the feet up then they will remain sound and that's what we talk about a biomechanical chain so if your feet strike the ground on the outside of your heel and leave off your big toe and that plane of motion is 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 sound, then your tibia, your tibia rotates as it should and your knee locks and unlocks like it should and then your hip joints work in the way they should and then your SI joints and then that causes normal spinal movement up through your spine up to your shoulders. So if your feet are balanced, everything else should work well. But as we know, that was completely false because what we realized was that even if you work super hard to get the leg length balanced and level, the biomechanical load can be impacted from the head, neck and shoulders down. Now, that's I want to repeat that because that's a really important point. You could have a perfect leg length. Everything could be striking the ground evenly. Uh, much like you see, you know, a perfect athlete, everything's striking well. But if you were to give that athlete a sack of grain to carry on one shoulder, what do you think that would do to the way his feet strike the ground? Yeah, the, the, the weight balance and the weight differential is straight away. Uh, one side will be heavier than the other and there'll be a big compensation up that chain to counteract the, the extra mass on that side. So for... and. So for what we've worked out is that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So for carrying that, that, that sack on one shoulder, 
you would have to hike your hip, wouldn't you, on the other side to counterbalance to maintain you to stay upright, to, to, to move in a straight line. So in effect, what if we're not talking as something as profound as a sack of grain? What if we're talking about the way somebody sleeps of a night time and tucks their arm under a pillow? Or yeah, I was thinking yeah. exactly the same thing. So just sleeping on your side and having that restriction through the shoulder, it's going to be mirrored through that opposite hip. So when there's that restriction, then obviously there's going to be a, a different mechanical movement through the rest of the chain. And what about if uh, somebody is also uh, driving a car and putting their shoulder up on the, on the window all the time? Or what if someone's stomach sleeping? What if somebody is chewing on one side only or has a dental issue that is causing their jaw muscles to overact on one side? And when the jaw muscles overact on one side and there's an imbalance, it causes your upper trap muscle, that big thick muscle on the top of your shoulder, to become more active. And then that pulls your shoulder up as well. So once your shoulder's pulled up, guess what happens? The same as carrying that load of grain. Your opposite hip has to hike and counteract that abnormal, that new position. So we talk about, so what we're talking about there is a concept of for every action, equal and opposite. So if you've got a perfectly balanced hip and pelvis, but you start, and, and can I tell you, it won't be one one time you do it. So there's no need to be paranoid, right? So if you, you hold your phone for half an hour, don't freak out. It's just more the fact that if you're doing something repeatedly over a length of time, that what will happen is you will get a muscular reaction or a neurological reaction that will your body will have to uh, uh, to cope with, to to accommodate. Yeah, does that make some sense, buddy? We yeah, yeah, like um, talking about the, the thoracic and the cervical spine to do with sort of the, the neurological pathway. Even if you, you do have relatively good posture, but when you go to perform, your head goes forward. The amount of stress that puts on the posterior chain, so everything down the back um, of the body, uh, something's going to... Okay, let's talk about it, break that down a bit then, because that's a different issue, but yeah. it's a very important issue. So we're not talking about holding a, a sack of grain here. What we're talking about is a turtle coming out of its shell with your head coming out. Yep. And so if your head's coming forward, that has to have an impact on your low back and your hamstrings. Yeah, exactly. To counterbalance. Yeah. So, and where do we see that most commonly in our clinic, mate, with a head coming forward? Computer workers, people working at the desk. Where else? That's a good question. Airway. Yeah, that's the big. We laugh about that because we've I've been yeah we talk about airway a lot too. Because so what will happen? And here's the thing about the airway. So what we're talking about is your head coming too far forward on your shoulders, which causes your upper traps to tighten, um, and then having you know a counterbalancing effect on your low back and and pelvis. But we're saying that that will also happen if you have swollen tonsils or an enlarged tongue or a blocked nose. And once that happens, you have to tilt your head forward to open up your airway. So then we have to go to that next layer and go, well, what is causing our tonsils to swell or our tongue to swell or our nose to block? And that's a complex one. But we've found out that the common causes of that uh, are food allergies, sensitivities. Yeah. 
pollens, environmental stuff. And uh, yeah, I, I sent you along to an ENT person that I saw as well, didn't I, to get some pinprick testing done and to get a camera up your nose to see um, yeah, if you had any blockages in your nose. Do you remember what yeah. you had going on there? Yeah, so I did the allergy test and uh, tested positive to a lot of things that I'd actually grown up with. So I grew up racing around the bush and I tested positive for all the, the natural Australian uh, native plants. Um, grew up with a cat and, and, and was positive to a cat, um, which didn't really affect me when I was younger. Thank God you're a dog lover yeah. now, I'm over it. Well, that's the only thing I didn't test positive for. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I also know uh, playing in the school ground, I got a big bump on my nose. And ever since that then, I know that one airway has been a little bit blocked. So actually... It's deviated septum. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and doing the airway test and seeing how restricted, restricted that airway is was, was a little bit alarming. So around the time when the pollen's out, I do get very congested, so then I start to become a, much more of a mouth breather when I sleep. And what we know about mouth breathing too is once you start mouth breathing, not only does it affect you mechanically, but it, from other podcasts we've spoken about, and if you're interested, please go and check them out, that mouth breathing will stimulate your hypothalamus and your pituitary gland and lead to hormonal issues and adrenal fatigue and estrogen dominance and all these other um, and what we call sympathicotonia, which is a big word that means you get adrenally stressed out constantly. So mouth, generally mouth breathing people, they don't thrive, do they? No. The, so I, the, this, the quality of sleep that I was getting was, was pretty poor. I'd wake up fatigued. I'd need a nap during the day just to, to keep me going. Um, it was just an awesome time because we bought a new couch at that time and I, I was pretty easy to, to, to sleep on that couch. Awesome. All, all you didn't time, have so. to get up at all. No, you could have just lived there. Awesome. That has its pros and its cons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I think that we've touched on a few things there that are really interesting, and that is that we talk about a biomechanical chain. We talk about the impact of your posture has on the rest of your body. We talk about your airway and the importance of your airway and your nutrition when it comes to being an elite athlete too. But also what we do is... What we now know is that when you breathe through your mouth or you breathe poorly, it causes you to clench and grind your teeth at the night time. And once you get that clenching and grinding and you chew on one side only predominantly, that throws pressure into your neck and shoulder on one side as well. So what we originally thought was uh, a bite issue, which some people do have certain bite issues, where they have an overdeveloped or underdeveloped jaw, or they have a thing called a crossbite. And as you know, we do rec recommend uh, what's called occlusal splints to get the jaw in a neutral position. A lot of that stress is secondary to not being able to breathe well. So you get these, get these patients breathing well and they don't clench and they don't grind and they don't brux as hard. So the pressure then comes out of their head, neck and jaw and their body can relax more. So that was a really important message for us to get through uh, is there anything else from the chain? Like oh, we spoke, one of the things you spoke about was to be more specific about you know what, how if the head, neck, and jaw are misaligned, how that could affect the sacroiliac joint. Yeah. So what what are the the, the signs and symptoms of or what are the causes of the jaw? So uh, with the athletes that I've worked with, the ones that have had the hamstring tears, the constant hamstring strains 
there's always been an underlying TMJ or jaw issue there. And for them, they don't quite understand why why that's the case. So it's an abstract concept. Yeah. it's like you've been we've been working together long enough now that we've built enough foundational blocks where you've made the leap in your mind, your constructs in your mind have gone, ah, that goes to that, goes to that, because you treat these people all the time and you can see the musculoskeletal connections and you follow it up and you can see a pattern yeah, appearing. That that's the biggest thing, seeing that pattern. Yeah. Well, like all things, um, I think there's got to be, we've got to talk a little bit of anatomy on this one. And sorry, guys, to all our wonderful athletes that do listen to this one day. We love you all. Uh, shout out to, who's, who's it, who's it uh, going to be listening to this one? Get all your group, all the awesome people there. Hopefully we might send it across to America for Ella to have a listen to. Yeah, yeah, yeah one of our top athletes over there. Yeah. Uh, Ellen Nelson, who competed at the Olympics last year, but we've got a whole. You've got a whole. You've got a wonderful group at the moment, haven't you? You've got guys, some guys with a lot of potential. Haven't yeah, you? we've got a lot of talented juniors that, uh, if they blossom the way we think they're going to, yeah, the world can be at their feet. Essentially. Yeah, that's very exciting. Very very exciting. Let's talk a bit about how that pressure in your jaw can go to cause pressure in your pelvis. So once we establish that you're got, you've got pressure on your jaw on one side, what that can do is it causes pressure through uh, eustachian tube uh, because of, of the clenching going on there, but also through the temporal bones on one side of your skull. So they're the big flat bones you near your temples. Um, th- those bones can get tight and inflamed. And by those bones, your skull is one big bone uh, on the outside, but actually it's a series of small bones. And those bones are joined together by little joints called sutures. And they knit together like little tooth teeth and they intertwine into each other and they have a tiny amount of flex. So, and what can happen is if you've got uh, too much pressure on one side of your head or both sides, uh, those sutures can become inflamed. And you can, we palpate them, don't we? And yeah, we feel yeah. them inflamed. So that it's not muscular. It's definitely the joins in the skull that you can feel are swollen and tight and inflamed. When you have the theory is that when you have those joints tight and inflamed, it affects tension within the membrane that lines the inside of the skull called the dura mater, and the dura is a membrane, thick membrane that encases the 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 skull and the brain the, the brain it sits above the brain and below the skull and it, it attaches into these bones and these joints so this this membrane wraps around the inside of your head it goes through the hole in the base of your skull called the foramen magnum it goes down through to your mid back and it attaches onto your mid back but then the same membrane goes down and attaches right through your pelvis right into your sacrum and your pelvis so the theory is that if you have pressure within that membrane at the top, it can cause an effect in two ways to the bottom. The first way is that by, by a physical way is to cause a pulling on the, on the membrane so it gets tense on one side or both sides. So slack is taken up within that membrane. It's meant to have a bit of slack, this membrane. It's like a, a thick... Um, 
glad bag that r- runs around the inside of your, of, your, of your body. So you can imagine if there's tension, we pull the glad bag tight in the inside. So that tension causes pressure at the other end of your body for every action, equal and opposite reaction. So what that can do is cause the, the, the other side of your body, or that we actually see it on the same side most of the time with this, uh, that if you've got tension on the right-hand side of your head and jaw and the sutures within that side, it will, it will cause the sacroiliac joint, which is on that side, to pop open, which is called an unstable sacroiliac joint. And the sacroiliac joint, it's how, how many did we see today at work? We saw about 20 patients today. How many did we see with unstable sacroiliacs? Probably saw about five, you reckon? Yeah, I'd say about five. About five unstable sacroiliacs. And it's very painful, isn't it? Most people who have an unstable sacroiliac, they, uh, they struggle to bear weight into that side. But what's interesting with athletes, athletes can have chronically unstable sacroiliac joints but because they do so much muscular work, they're forming a muscular corset around that instability. But they still don't have the ability to uh, to function and flow in their uh, pelvis and their SI joint like they should because this joint is being traumatized on a micro level over and over again, isn't it? Yeah. So we sort of divide people into stable in their pelvis and misaligned or unstable. So it seems that the people who are under a lot of um, stress in their head tend to be more unstable in their pelvis, don't they? But not always. Not always. Because what we do know is the people that work hard on their pelvis and their core and activating their glute medius and their VMOs and keeping supple through their adductors and, you know, all the stuff that you deal a lot with, you know, in your, your muscular rehab with Taryn as well, which you do an absolutely cracking job on, it can help stabilize the pelvis. And so you do that. And I've, I've worked with different trainers in my life who I've seen them being able to stabilize pelvis with muscular approaches as a, phys- a physio would. But often they tend to keep popping open, not holding their stability. So it makes sense that if someone keeps getting some underlying issues with a hamstring or a uh, low, you know with a or a low back that there's something else driving that problem isn't there yeah it's, it's the the reoccurring injuries that that are the biggest hole in in an athlete's training load um, yeah if, if we could get on top of that and get quality training and a, a good bulk of it it leads into the next year of training so there there's a good base to build upon Yes. So what we find is that when there's a chronic sort of low-level injury, you can't get the sort of cage into the legs. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so it doesn't yeah. lead to a good season. So, so they'll do a rehab program. We'll, we'll get them up to scratch. They can start uh, building on their, their training load and then we'll get to a certain point and then we're, we've taken those two steps forward. Now it's the time to take one step back and we've got to start to rebuild again. Uh, and for the athlete's mentality, it's extremely frustrating. So the other way that it can affect too, and I'll touch on this quickly, is that if you've got tension within that membrane, that membrane, cerebrospinal fluid sits in that membrane. And there's another theory that says if the membrane's tight, 
then the cerebrospinal fluid can't flow up and down your spine like it should. And we know through science that the cerebrospinal fluid does move, and we know by science that it can stagnate because it's been proven in n- numerous studies. If you've got some problems with your um, your skull or you've got problems with your pelvis and your tailbone's not working properly, it will affect the flushing ability of that fluid. So does that make some sense on why you could possibly get a problem in your head or jaw and then it to cause problems in your pelvis? Or yeah, like yeah. It's, it's connecting those dots that I, I wish the athletes would understand uh, because then they'll become more in tune with their bodies and then they can communicate it better to the therapists that are working on them. Hey, I've, I've got this issue. It could be, I think it could be stemming from this. So it takes a lot of the guessing game out of the equation. And some of the pitfalls that I, I get, I, I find that I, I, I sort of mentioned to you and um, I've asked to pass that on to John and Michael Dooley is that uh, I, I sometimes wonder if, if we're causing problems by running one direction all the time, you know, and that lean to one side running around the track. Um, what, what do you think of that? You guys do some opposite running, do you now? Oh, we try to keep the guys... You're in neutral but more often, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. We, we try to keep them on the straight track as, as much as we can. Um, ideally, I'd like to do more opposite bend running. Um, for me personally, when I'd run the other way around the bend, I was absolutely useless uh, just because it was so uh, deep-rooted in me to just con- constantly turn left. Um, so I think if we got that up to scratch, and it's all about balance for the athletes. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because that's where you're comfy. But I just think from a balancing point of view, that even if you crap at it, it wouldn't be a bad thing to go. And, you know, it's not a bad thing to lean into something that you're bad at. Yeah. Because it's not an ideal situation. You know, you're making the best of a bad situation. Much ice, like I say to golfers, if you're swinging a golf club, it's not a good movement to start with swinging a golf club. But maybe we can swing the other way, you know, as you're playing your game a few times to try to balance out this, like rotate your spine the opposite way. Um, so no, no different to that. It's not a good thing to run around a bend all day, but maybe we can just, yeah. Yeah, we can, we've got exercises in the it. gym that balance out a lot of the, uh, the weaknesses on one side compared to the other side. So sure. we do a lot of single leg stuff, yeah. um, creating that thoracic mobility um, so they can actually turn both ways, uh, keeping the shoulders uh, in full range of motion so when they are bringing their arms through, there's not a too much of an internal rotation through the shoulders, which then cause the elbows to flare out. And then if the elbow flares out, the legs have got to compensate for that rotation through the opposite arm. Mate, that's, that's been awesome. And is there anything, what, what are the common things that we talk about with athletes that we ask the questions about? And, and we should talk about that quickly. And that is, firstly, do they pop or click their own body? Um, because as we know, if you pop or click something yourself, you're creating um, joint trauma on a micro level. If you do it, you know more than you know, do it every day or more than once a day. So it's actually causing instability within the spinal joints or any other joint for that matter in your knee, your ankle, and your hip. So it's not a good idea to keep popping a joint yourself, is it? No. So you you kind of set yourself up for a little uh, circle that all right, the joint feels tight. I need to crack it. I create that mobility, but then the body senses there's a hypermobility, so it tightens back up. So you're in this sort of little vicious cycle. 
chasing yourself around. So that's a big one we ask, mate. The other one we ask is we've mentioned sleeping posture. It's got to be neutral. Yep. What are some other ones can you think of that we talk about? Any off the top of your head? Uh, I said driving. Uh, obviously, things like being a barista. You know, if you're put, making a coffee, you know, pulling on one side like that all the time. It's anything like that, isn't it? Yeah, you know? like a lot of the, the athletes are either full-time or part-time uni students. Yeah, that's the important one. Yes. So yes. generally around exam time, we, we've got to modify the training session. So uh, just from them being in a seated position for so long, the hip flexors get tired. They can't get the full hip extension. They're riding. They're typing. Uh, it's just... The dreaded iPad... Um, notebook leaning and all writing on paper where you hunch forward and you bring your right arm if you're right-handed right on one arm that's a good one yeah. that's a bad one so you add in the stress fracture uh, the, the, the stress um the the long hours life in general plus their training load it's just an awesome time of year for them yeah and for you too it must be fun um Anything else you can think of on a rep- uh, I, I think they're the main things. We, we make a habit of asking that with every every problem we treat, isn't it? Is there anyone else you can think of? Any other things you can think of there? Um, I, I, I do want to say it's good to chew both sides, but you don't want to get OCD and, yeah. and give yourself a hard time about chewing. But it is good to chew both sides so you, you don't get too much of an imbalance there. Um, just stuff that you do day to day, you know, whether it be computers as well. If you're working in an office desk environment, um, or or you're doing, if you're uh, a plumber, or you're, you know, anything that you're doing on a daily basis, we want to try to get symmetry. Yeah. So we're balancing the body out. I know you've spoken about this one when you're working with a lot of the football players that when they're weight bearing and doing their exercises, they're really well balanced. They're they can do everything well, but as soon as they go to that relaxed mode where they're laying on the couch or just laying in the bed, they're a completely different person. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's a point I want to emphasize if we do get any athletes listening to this. Um, um, what I do want to say is that, um, that you can have someone who is perfectly symmetrical and balanced and spends a lot of time in the gym, but... If they're sitting on a couch for a long period of time after that gym, they will, when they get up to walk around and flex, that they will get stuck in that flexed position. So when they move as an athlete, they won't be moving as well as what they could or should do. So, yeah, it's an interesting one that, that even if you're spending time in the gym and you feel like you're balanced, if you hunch or you sleep on your stomach, It'll have a hangover effect later on down the track. Uh, yeah, well, I think that just about covers that, mate. Is there anything else that you think could be relevant before we say goodbye? I think for this one, uh, we'll save a few for maybe a few other times. Or... Yeah, sure. And we might go through some specific injuries and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, the common stuff that we see here, hamstring tears. Hamstrings is, is always number one. Uh, for runners, stress related injuries whether it be in the lower back feet shins um, oh like bone stress yeah, Do you mean, yeah yeah like like shin splints like uh back fract uh stress fractures yeah yeah, yeah. so a lot of the uh, navicular stress fractures either in jumpers or sprinters um the jumpers tend to also get the lower back stress reactions or stress fractures 
I've learned a lot from you in that when they, you've said that when they, uh, often it's the leg that they leap out onto first when they start is relevant too, isn't it? Yeah, so that some people are right leg starters, so the, the, the front foot is the right leg and others are a left foot. Um, sometimes it just comes down to personal preference, which one you suit better. But that first step would take, you would imagine, takes a lot of load yes, when they yes. so leap off. Yeah. You're trying to get over inertia, uh, accelerate forwards. Um, so you're taking body weight plus the force times acceleration to get that movement going. It's uh, quite a high number there. Yeah. I mean, maybe you can do it next time we chat too. We can talk about some strategies to do with training, maybe for some young athletes who aren't in your squad that want to get become a better runner. Maybe there's some, some tips you could give them. Yeah. That'd be really good because you, you tend to, to tr- uh, look after the guys at the, at the top, but there's probably a whole bunch of younger athletes that would, might listen to our podcast one day that could... Uh, get benefit from some of the stuff, the, the information and wisdom that you've learned over the years as well. Yeah, I, that, that's probably a good one to do just to help out any of the sort of... There's there's a lot of young aspiring runners too, isn't there, you know, that that probably need the right guidance as well. Yeah, uh, like for... There's not really a great difference in biomechanics from an elite athlete to a, a, an amateur-type athlete. Um it just comes down to how they execute the little things is probably the biggest thing. Uh, so biomechanics does come into it, but what actually happens during foot contact and then what, how that foot leaves the ground, there's, there's a fair few mechanical things going on there. Yeah. Um, all right, mate. I think that was wonderful. Thanks for your time, buddy. Is there anything you want to say before we say goodbye? Thank you. Thank you, mate. <laughs> we'll shake hands. We'll end it at that one. And we'll catch you at our next edition. All the best. Goodbye.